Before we get into the episode, a quick warning. Some of the scenarios depicted in this episode are graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. Thank you and enjoy the episode. I started doing drugs, like hardcore drugs, when I was 18. I was at a party and I tried cocaine for the first time and I loved it immediately. And then my addiction got really, really bad when my mom passed away. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And after two years, she passed away and um, she left behind a lot of painkillers. And that's kind of how I dealt with the grief. I tried to mask it as much as I could, so I was drinking pretty much every day um, and taking these painkillers. And then it just was a downhill battle from there. I uh, started doing heavier painkillers like 30 milligram oxycodone, and then it started going up to 80 milligram oxycontin, and I was paying like $80 a pill, so all my money was going to that. After my mom passed away, I was given $10,000, which was gone within a few weeks to drugs. After six months of like consecutively doing these pills was the first time I felt withdrawals when I went to South Beach, Florida, and I didn't have anything with me, and um, I thought I'd be okay. But um, after doing it for six months consecutively, it was the first time I experienced opiate withdrawal. And I wanted to kill myself, and um, I just didn't know what to do. And all I could do was lay naked in the shower, like lay down in the fetal position and just have the shower running on my body. Yeah, I never felt so much pain and agony in my entire life. So we had to leave the vacation early so I could come home and get some more pills. So my life kind of just was spiraling out of control. I got arrested. I had two DUIs. I got arrested for marijuana one time, and then that's all they thought that I had on me. But once I got to the jail, they found out that I had cocaine on me as well. So I was going to go home that night, but once they found the cocaine, they charged me with possession of cocaine and possession with cocaine with intent to distribute to prisoners. So I did not go home. <laughs> it was only like a gram, but yeah, cause it was inside the jail. I had to, they charged me with that. So I did not go home. I ended up getting um, convicted of them both. And I was sentenced to two years probation. And as long as I followed through with the probation, it, they would take the felony off my record. Like it would be cleared. Obviously, I did not comply with probation, and um, I just wasn't going to meeting with my probation officer. I wasn't passing drug tests, so they gave me a nine-month sentence. It started off in jail, but then I ended up going to prison. As soon as I got out there, the first thing I did was take four Klonopins and blackout immediately. Like I was gone away from drugs and alcohol for nine months, but the first thing I did when I came out was take four Klonopins and I went to the bar and I blacked out and woke up next to some random dude. I don't even know his name to this day. And so my family was just like, 
we don't want you here. We don't want you around. Like, we're sick and tired of you ruining our lives, giving us this bad name to our family. So they were like, we think it'd be a good idea if you just left the state entirely. Um, and my sister was having kids and stuff, so that she just didn't want me around them. Because I was stealing money from her. I was stealing money from my dad. I was stealing his car. I mean, I stole thousands and thousands of dollars from them. So yeah, they wanted me out of their lives completely. So I moved to North Carolina. Between April and June, I moved here in 2013. And then I let things get really, really bad. Um, I started off just drinking when I first moved here because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any connections or anything. So I started working at a bar and I was living in a hotel when I first moved here because I came here with $400 in the clothes on my back. So I just checked into a hotel and I found a bar downtown and I started working. And then I met this lady that I knew was obviously doing drugs just because I could tell. And she set me up with a pain management doctor who prescribed me 120 Oxycontins once a month. Those were gone within like a week and a half, maybe two weeks. And then I would go the rest of the month just completely sick and withdrawing and miserable. I just prayed that I could stop taking those pills. And all of a sudden, like I went to the doctor and she cut me off. Yeah, it was terrible for me, but it ended up working in my favor. But then I started meeting new people at the bars, like people that I worked with. And one of them now is actually in recovery as well and is doing really well, but he hooked me up with a heroin dealer. And so I started shooting heroin, using it intravenously. And then um, that was my goal every single day was to get heroin. I wouldn't be able to go to work without getting high. I would be drinking all throughout my shift, whether it was morning or night. And then the whole time I'm at work, I'm trying to meet up with like my drug dealers. I'd have them come in and see me at work, or I would make some crazy excuse to leave work and go meet up with them and come back to work. I would sit in the bathroom for like 30 minutes to an hour at a time trying to get high, you know, trying to find a vein or whatever. And so that was going on for a long time, maybe nine months. And then um, obviously, as I started using more and more drugs, I started meeting more and more drug dealers and people that, you know, that were getting high like me. And that's kind of what my life turned into. Um, I lost that job and then I ended up finding another job immediately at another bar. But at this point, I was now um, shooting heroin and meth at the same time. I started doing that. And the same deal, I would have my drug dealers come up to the bar and, you know, sell me these drugs. I was stealing money from the my boss's safe. I was stealing money from the cash register. I would go in the bathroom and smoke crack and, of course, get high in the bathroom as well by shooting heroin and meth. And so I eventually lost that job. And at the time, I was living with a roommate in a house downtown. Um, so I had moved out of that hotel and met this girl that I had worked with, and we got a house together. And she, of course, at the beginning, she didn't know how bad off I was. So we lived together in that house for maybe, I don't know, six months. I came home one day, and all the furniture was gone. Everything was shut off, all the lights, all the water, all the electricity. Everything was cut off, and she had just cleared the apartment. She just left. She was terrified of me. I mean, I was stealing money from her as well. I mean, she obviously knew that I had some kind of drug addiction or habit. Because so I would come home, and I would just go straight to my room and shut the door and get high and cry listening to music. Like, it was just so miserable. It was so bad. 
And so what I used to do was I didn't have any money. So I was jobless. Um, I was living in this abandoned house. And that was like fine to me. I was like, this is normal. Like that was normal to me. But in order for me to get drugs, I had to get around. And so I was using taxis back then. So what I would do is I, was ca- I would call the taxi. And I would have them take me to the drug dealer's house. And I would get whatever I needed. I'd come back in the cab and I'd have them drop me off somewhere where I could just run so I couldn't pay them. And I did that all the time until finally this one cab driver was like, no, you're not going anywhere until you pay me. And um, I was like, okay, well, I mean, the money's inside. I have to go get it. She was like, no, you have to pay me before you leave this cab. So she ended up calling the police. And the police came and um, they saw that I looked a mess. Like I had blood stains on my shirt. Um, They could see the track marks. I probably hadn't showered in days. Like I just looked terrible. I searched my bag and, you know, there was needles in there. There was vinegar to break down the crack. And um, there was a bag of cocaine in there. So they arrested me for trying to run the cab. I forgot what that was called. I got arrested with possession of heroin and cocaine. And then I got arrested, um, possession of paraphernalia. And so I went to jail and I was able to bond out. When I got bonded out, I called a cab to come pick me up, and then I jumped that cab again. (laughs) Um, And then, like, a week later, I got caught doing the same thing, and then I got arrested again. And then at this point, I was kind of like, it was almost like a relief. I was like, maybe this is a good thing. Like, I don't have to run anymore. I'll have food on my plate. I'll have a safe place to sleep, and I'll be able to take a shower. And so I was kind of relieved at that point. And so from there, I had no, I could not bond out. There was nobody I could call. And there, part of me was kind of like, I don't want to go anywhere. And so that's kind of when I started reaching out to the women in there. And that's when I first heard about this place. And so I emailed Amanda Blue and she mailed me back. They were like, let us know your release date. And they picked me up as soon as I got released from my probation officer the day I got out. So two silver chippers who are actually both gone now to overdoses. At first, it was, there was a few different emotions. One, I was relieved because I knew, again, that I was in a safe place and that I was, you know, going to be able to eat and there was a roof over my head and I had food and there were other, I had been in jail plenty of times before in prison, so I was used to being around a lot of women. But at the same time, it was terrifying because the thought of me not, being able to drink or get high ever again was terrifying to me. How was I going to live this life being sober? But other than that, I just felt really numb. Like I didn't, wasn't able to feel happy. I wasn't able to feel sad. I wasn't able to care about anything yet. And that really didn't come until after three months of me being here, I think is when I first started being able to like cry and like wholeheartedly laugh and stuff like that. But like the, like the physical aspect of it lasted like the, you know, the pain in my bones and the sweats and the wanting to, like, jump out of my skin feeling didn't go away for, like, two months. Keep in mind, I was in jail for two months. So I, it was about four months when I actually started feeling physically normal again. So I remember one thing. It might not be significant to um, anybody else, but I remember when I first sat down on my bed, one of the girls that was in the shelter with me she's actually a silver chipper now and one of my very good friends 
She handed me an envelope with a stamp on it and a razor, and she said, here, you're gonna need these. And it was just so, it was like the nicest thing anyone had ever done for me in a long time. And like I said, it might not mean significant to anybody else, but it was really significant to me. And it was just amazing. And I was told by the lady in detox, I can't remember who it was that was sitting in detox, but she was like, you're in a safe place and don't worry, you don't have to ever go back to that life you were living before. So that really meant a lot to me. And it it was just like, boom, like, I don't have to live like that anymore. You know, I don't have to be in and out of jails anymore, and I don't have to live in abandoned houses. Um, and honestly, I kind of came into this program blindsided. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know, like, what exactly this program provided. I honestly just thought it was like a homeless shelter that um, I knew I was going to have to walk to classes, but I honestly thought that's how the whole program was going to go the whole entire time. But that's not what it was. That's not the case at all. So. What I learned through this program is the way I come off to people is not how I see myself. So other people point out in me things that I need to work on myself. And these are things that I had no idea were defects of mine. Or I wasn't ready to be willing to admit them. I was taught things that may seem so insignificant, like turning the lights off or, you know, making sure your room is, bed is made in the morning and your room is clean and just, you know, being mindful of just little things and respecting the place where you live. Being kind to people and understanding that other people are going through battles just as well as you are. I was very hard-headed and stubborn when I got here. Um, when I was two months, after being here for two months, I met a guy who had, he was alumni from the program. But as soon as I saw him, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna make him mine. <laughs> That's happening. Um, so, but that I can honestly say made my recovery and my journey through here a lot harder than it needed to be. A lot of my focus and my energy was on him and the relationship. Um, I got a lot of concerns. I got 87 concerns while I was at the healing place and wrote over, I think, like 48,000 words. Yeah, and a lot of those concerns and a lot of that help came from my relationship with him. But no matter how hard-headed and stubborn and defiant I was, I was committed to completing this program. Like, I was going to Silver Chip. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that life is perfect now. Just because you get sober, life is not perfect. But one thing I can tell you is that it's a lot easier to deal with things when you're sober. Yeah. <laughs> you have a clear mind. Um, you, have a, you have a foundation. You have a proper network that you can reach out to for help and support. And that's all things that The Healing Place has given me a network of women, um, a foundation. They've introduced me to 12-step programs. And that is something that I have to keep constant in my life. Because of The Healing Place, I'm able to be a relying employee. I'm able to show up to work on time and I'm able to be present. I don't have to go to the bathroom to get hired to take a shot. You know, I'm able to be of maximum service to my employer. I'm a mom now, like never in a million years would I thought that I'd be capable of taking care of another human being. 
And it is with the man that I met when I was two months sober. <laughs> We're still together now. So that's something else that the I look at that as something else the Healing Place has given me is a family. You know, it might have not been on at the best time or at the mo- best moment, but the Healing Place introduced me to Jonathan. And now we have this beautiful baby boy. And it's just like, I mean, I could have never asked for a better family or a better baby. I have my own apartment. Like, I went from living in an abandoned house with no water, no electricity, nothing. And now I have my own apartment. I'm able to pay for my own apartment. I have my family back in my life. You know, the family that wanted me to completely leave the state. They wanted no contact with me. They wouldn't answer my phone calls because they just thought that the only reason I was calling is to ask them for money or for help. Now, um, my sister who still lives in Virginia, she has three kids and she's married and she's always asking me when I'm gonna come visit her and her kids and when are we gonna come, you know, bring bring the baby and bring Jonathan and you guys can stay in my house. You can stay in my humongous <laughs> house, you know, where I trust you to stay in my house and you can be around my things now and and they always, you know, ask about me and ask how I'm doing and they call my brother calls me and asks for advice about things and and he thought he may have may had had a drug problem, so he was able to confide in me with that. I mean, my life is just amazing now. It's crazy. And it's not like, you know, I'm not super rich and I don't have all these nice cars. And But I'm, like, happy and I feel fulfilled and I feel like, like I have a purpose now. I think a lot of us have experienced that, probably most of us, um, probably even by our own family members. You know, that you can just stop whenever you want. You know, you're doing this by choice. You know, why can't you just, you know, be like a normal person of society? But if you ask me now, I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm a person in recovery. I will gladly tell you that I was a severe drug addict and alcoholic. And what the healing place and recovery has brought me now. It has so much meaning and the life that I, that recovery has given me, I kind of want to praise the life that I had before because I'm an example of somebody that can change and become not just a normal, but like a purposeful person of society that is working and is able to raise a family and is able to pay bills and pay rent. So I probably am part of that stigma, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Because I am proof, and so many of us alumni and you know people in recovery are proof that recovery is possible. Recovery Through My Eyes is a Healing Transitions podcast. The episode was produced by Bear McBride. Healing Transitions is a nonprofit recovery program for homeless, uninsured, and underserved individuals struggling with alcoholism and other drug addictions in Wake County, North Carolina. For more information, visit our website at healing-transitions.org. That's healing-transitions.org.